We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 317 and I'm here with Christina Garza. We are continuing our conversation from last week. And so if you haven't listened to that, that would be a good way to go back and get some background on what is happening here. She was a really fun interview, and I just loved hearing her different perspective and her story and her passion for what she's doing with kids, uh, where she pulls kids out of school for one day a week, all year long, in an internship setting where they can learn some really important skills. And you're just going to love this conversation. And her suggestion for what you need to do to be a transformative principal is very simple, but powerful, and will definitely change the trajectory of your school. So without further ado, here's my interview with Christina Garza. From your perspective, what do you think prevents schools and community partners from establishing these types of relationships? You know, it requires a lot of trust and, and time. And it tends to be that the folks that have the biggest voices within maybe the school system are also very involved parents. I'm not a parent. So I come in from a little bit uh, different perspective where I don't go to the schools and say, oh, you need to provide internship because my kid is not getting the experience that I want them to get. But rather I go to them and say like, hey, I am in economic development. We need to be able to recruit industry so that we can create jobs for these students. But the reality is that what they're, the education they're getting with you by the time that they leave your school 
I cannot use them as a workforce to attract industry, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not coming out of the school district with the skills that they need to be able to get a job. And so that's how these programs started getting developed because we do a lot of work beyond this one internship. We do a lot of other programs with the school districts, but it came out of not having enough people to fill jobs for new companies that were starting. And so if we ever want to have industry that pays higher wages, we also need to make sure that when that industry does appear in this uh, in the city, that it is our own residents that take those jobs and not that we create a situation in which we're giving tax incentives to a company only for them to then have to import their talent. We want to be able to build that local talent. So, you know, that is a big motivation for why we're doing so much with the school district is because this is a new way of thinking about economic development. So for us, it's crucial that if they're not getting the entrepreneurial skills and they're not being nurtured as young talent in their schools, then that's something that we can step in and help out with. In terms of industry, one of the hardest reasons, I mean, the difficulties in creating partnerships with the school districts is the soft skill component, right? Mm -hmm. So we had had other, there's other internships and job shadowing opportunities for high school students with industry. There comes a point where, from my own conversations with with industry partners, that it's just not worth it for them to train a kid that's not coming in with the necessary soft skills uh, and independence and leadership skills to be able to take on a job, that it just is not worth it for them to train them. Um, I think there could be better systems in which we are providing incentives directly to the employer so that, let's say, an EDC pays for the salary of high school students to be summer workers or to be apprentices so that it's cheaper on the industry size and makes financial sense. But in turn, there has to be a partnership with the schools to make sure that those students are there, um, are then emotionally ready to take on these jobs. I think what's happening now with the push of early college schools is that on the one side, it's financially amazing that students only have to then pay two years of college because they did already so many, they took so many classes that their families end up saving a lot of money that way. But then you have a very young 19, 20 year old coming out with a college degree and might not have the emotional maturity or have given any type of opportunity to take on a job. Right. And so that is usually what the, uh, the biggest hindrance I would say in terms of more industry, you know, more industry leaders taking on high school students. It's just that if they're not coming, you know, ready, understanding what it's like to be on time and look professional and behave in a way that is mature, then it's not an appealing enough proposal for them to take on. I mean, they don't, in a way, they don't owe it to the city to do this. Why would they do this, right? Mm -hmm. Why would they take on this project if we are not putting it a lot more time and a much more focused investment in growing soft skills in high school students on behalf of the schools? Yeah, boy, there's so much to unpack there, Christina. I want to, I think, okay, so for me and for you, you and I both left our hometowns when we were ready, as soon as we were ready. I left when I was 16 and started working Mm. part-time then while I was still finishing high school. And then ever since then, I've worked in sometimes two or three jobs, especially being a first-year teacher, had Mm -hmm. extra jobs to make ends meet and all that kind of stuff. 
and having that work ethic, which I think my dad taught me very early on from making me go work other places and volunteer and spend my time doing things. He taught me that work ethic early on, and that was so important. And I remember being young and getting lots of compliments about that because I stood out from my peers because I was willing and able to work in a way that other people just weren't. And I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. Mm-hmm. And so being able to develop those skills is is vitally important. And and you said you, you wish that you created this program for what you wish you had when you were 17, right? And so, right. and then taking the idea of companies not having to import their talent, but being able to use the kids that graduate from high school there to immediately go into the workforce as an option and an opportunity. How do you think your life would have changed if you had this opportunity? Would you have left your hometown? Would you have wanted to get out from under your parents? Would it have been different if you would have known? I asked that question, then I want to answer that question too after you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I definitely would have left. I always knew that I needed to have more independence to explore the world on my own. And that the opportunities that oh, the, the, really the things that I was interested in were not available here. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was a city girl and that I liked art and that I wanted a more exciting cultural life. So I definitely would have left. I think what would have changed is I, you know, I talk about this all the time because I'm an ex-art historian. I'm still very much involved in the, you know, very passionate about arts and culture, but I don't think that would have been my choice in college. There were a lot of, you know, I had a lot of other interests. I wanted to go to business school. I wanted to be a lawyer, but I was too insecure and too scared to do that. And I didn't realize until doing this program, just how many opportunities I missed because of the stories that I told myself about what I was capable of, because nobody had ever given me any type of responsibility. My parents were incredibly overprotective and very strict. And so I just assumed that I wasn't capable of doing anything on my own, that I needed my parents' guidance or that I constantly needed to have my my hand hold to be able to move through life. And if I had been in this program, I think it would have definitely changed my self-esteem and my uh, and the way that I saw myself as being capable of pursuing anything I wanted. You know, one of the things that we don't like talking about because we don't like we don't know how to measure feelings, right? So we don't like talking about things we don't can measure, things we don't know how to test for. But self-esteem and confidence are now noted to be the biggest contributors to the wage gap, for example, mm-hmm. right? Like people don't see themselves as uh, knowing how to ask for a raise, um, wanting more, going for bigger things, taking risk, um, going for jobs that they're not qualified for. And all of this, it's not, you know, we're not born this way. We're sort of cultured in, and trained to, to, and raised to really think of ourselves as constantly needing permission and constantly feeling like we're not good enough. I think our, sadly, our education system has created a lot of insecurity, particularly in girls, that is then reflected in the choices that they make professionally. Mm. So I would have, I would say that if I had this program, I would see myself differently, understand my power 
and my abilities much differently. And I wouldn't think twice about going to business school. I wouldn't think twice about picking a different major that required me to be more outgoing. You know, I ended up picking art history because a counselor who I probably now realize she was probably 24 at the time, but I, to me, a counselor meant like this adult had, that had all the answers. And I just need to do what this adult who is a surrogate for my parent uh, right. is going to tell me what to do, right? And so she uh, probably just out of college herself and like just needing to have a job told me to take a lot of electives, which, you know, freshman year, first semester, just taking random electives, the things that I liked, and and by the next year, you know, I still didn't know what I wanted. I, she just kept telling me to take electives. And she said, what are the things you like? I'm like, well, I like art. Like, okay, we'll take an art history class and take this studio art class. Fine. Um, the next semester, she asked me, which one was your favorite class? And I said, oh, art history. I really like that one. And she said, okay, well, that's going to be your major. And I said, okay, <laughs> great. Thanks for making that decision for me because I'm not used to making decisions on my own. And an yeah. adult telling me this is what you should do was a godsend because finally here's an adult telling me, making this decision for me that I know is a really tough one. And then I just figured out if this is going to be my major, then I will just make a career in this major and eventually things will work themselves out because I didn't understand how the world worked. Mm-hmm. You know, and things did in a way went really well. Like I had a good career in that sector and I worked really hard and I had a lot of internships and I ha- always had side jobs, but I never had a chance to think about what really interested me. What were the problems that I wanted my job to solve and myself as a, as a working person to be involved in? And I didn't know what it was like to get paid in the art world. I didn't know what the salaries were like, which if you don't know, are horrible. Yeah. I didn't know that you needed to get a PhD to get an entry-level job. I didn't know that you had to live in a, most likely you would end up living in an expensive city to be able to get a job in the art world. And all of these you know, factors are never being brought to the forefront when we talk to teens, or especially mm-hmm. when counselors talk to teens about what they want and don't want to do. So that was a very long way of saying that had I had this program when I was younger, I would have definitely made riskier choices that put my preferences at the forefront. And instead of going for the safe choice of, you know, that an adult gave me. Yeah. Well, and I, I love how you're telling that story because that's so similar to mine, even though we grew up Mm. totally different lives and different perspectives. The same part is that I didn't know what I didn't know and nobody took the time to help me find on my own Mm -hmm. what I didn't know. So I majored in English in college, same thing. Like you don't get a job in English, you know, being right. You know, my, my career path was to be a technical writer but that was a safe choice, like you said, because writing came naturally to me. Communicating came naturally to me. It wasn't going to be a, a challenging thing. I could do well in the classes without much effort. And so that was, you know, the path of least resistance. And instead of me, like, mm-hmm. really thinking mm-hmm. about what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to live my life, I took that path. I also felt like I wanted to teach people, but thought that the only way that I teach people is by being a teacher. And I knew salary-wise that wasn't a good idea. And so eventually I I ended up going to that because I felt the call and I knew that that was was something that I needed to use my skills to do. 
And then I quickly got bored of being in the classroom and, and doing that mm. work. And it wasn't a big enough impact for me. So then I became a principal because then I could have a bigger impact. And now I'm thinking, man, I still have all this potential and I'm not getting right. used in the way that I should be in my district. Not because I'm like great or anything like that, but again, I have the potential to be, have a bigger impact than what I'm doing. So then I started mm-hmm. the podcast right. and now I'm doing all this consulting and supporting other leaders. And I'm seeing that as I go, there's all this potential that's still untapped that I didn't believe I had when I was 17 years old and making some of these decisions mm-hmm. that would affect me for a very long time. And, you know, like you, I had very loving parents who cared about me a lot, but they also didn't know how to do the things that you and I are talking about and didn't right. take the time to talk and spend time with me to help me figure those things out. And so our stories are different and yet incredibly similar. And so many of our kids are experiencing that as well. And I think what you're doing is amazing and helping them find a way to know what they need to, to be able to make choices. And one thing I want to highlight real quick is just this idea of shying away from the issues and things that you mentioned that we can't measure in education. And so we think that therefore they have no value because we can't measure them, right. but they're really the things that are most important. How do we take the time to focus on those things that are really the most important? Oof. Um, well, first is you have to define what is important because I, I mean, you and I see a lot of value in them. That might not be the case for everyone else. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I see happening a lot nowadays. I mean, I don't know in, com- in compare. When I say when I say nowadays, I mean like with my interns versus when I was a high school student. Is how incredibly demanding their schedule is in a way that I don't think it's healthy, and it's just become the way of you know the the game, right? Like you have to be an overachiever to be able to get to a good college, especially if you're from here, because this is an area that suffers from chronic systemic poverty and Mm. college is always you know sold as the solution of you know to get financial mobility to be able to move to a better place and so now kids have so much stress in their life to perform and of course the teachers want to be part of a high performing school so then they need for their students to be high performing and they have to be high performing and we've now come into we are now in a culture in which Everyone is measured by their productivity and we're just teaching kids to stay up as late as they can, get involved into as many things as they can and never have time to one rest, to understand themselves. And three, by putting them in a position where they have to do so much, they will inevitably fail and they will see that as a reflection of who they are, right? Because we have these unrealistic expectations that they need to be great at everything or they'll never get a scholarship to go to college. So that to say, how do we make time for things that matter? I think we need to re I mean, to me, it's like, let's change the whole education system. But we we do need to reevaluate how much time we're putting in kids' schedule to be able to think about these issues, right? I mean, I ideally would love to see every student have time in their schedule to go to counseling, to do things like these types of programs and internships, to find, you know, to do group therapy, to think about building self-esteem through project building and to get more and more involved in things that are not, uh, that are not scored 
so that don't have a grade or that are a competition, which right now those are the only two things kids do all day is like compete in sports or whatever other, you know, UIL or debate team, whatever it is, so like competition or grades. And so they don't know anything about competition. And like, what does that do to a person's self-esteem where everything about their life, every minute is about how well they're performing. And then we throw them out into the world and we expect them to be happy, well-adjusted adults when in reality, they're insecure, scared, and have a mentality of scarcity in which they have to be the best or otherwise they're, you know, then their life are not worth living. Yeah. Wow. And the thing with grades is that they are a competition in and of themselves also. And so, right. like, right. it doesn't... Oh, and now they have these GPAs. I mean, when I was in school, the, the highest GPA was 4.0. Now you can get like a 4.8 or... I, I mean, I just can't even wrap my head around how much the ranking system matters to them and how much it guides their decisions in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. The thing to me that's really frustrating about grades is that even if the school has a grading policy, the grades between individual teachers can vary so much that it is Mm -hmm. just ridiculous. And so, you know, it's supposed to be this like this standardized thing that an A means this. Uh, But the reality is, is that in every single class, it means something different. And instead of us recognizing that and saying, okay, so knowing that it can mean anything, it actually means nothing. Instead, we put even more emphasis on it and find ways to increase the ranking for those who take more challenging classes that are allegedly more challenging when maybe they actually aren't. Maybe they are, you know, and depending on the kid, they could be different too. So there's just so much Uh in there that is so backwards and so broken and yet we still push it and say that it is required and mandatory and and it puts a lot of pressure on kids that as you said it just is not necessary so christina this has been a great conversation i've loved talking with you the last question that i ask everybody is what is one thing that a school principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you oh spend this week spend at least one hour sending emails to industry leaders and ask them for a 20 minute phone call and just talk to them and ask them about who are the kind of person that they hire, what kind of programs they have. Uh, Just make yourself know to the community outside of teachers and parents. That's beautiful. That is the most unique answer I think I've ever gotten. Spend an hour emailing people asking for a 20 minute phone call. That's great. If you want to connect with Christina on Twitter, she is at Programs EDC, and you can connect with her, learn more about what she's doing. And Christina, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. No, thank you so much. I love this conversation, and I love that you're thinking about adding different voices to your podcast and trying to reach out outside of the school system. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Hey, this is Jethro. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of Transformative Principle. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I want to remind you, I am going out on my own. So I'm looking for opportunities to help schools implement things that are related to student-driven learning. So if you'd like to work with me, please go to JethroJones.com and you'll be able to enter your information there and we can schedule a chat to talk and figure out how we can help move kids forward and be in control of their own learning. 
Thanks so much. That's JethroJones.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.